This audio production is brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. So welcome, everyone. We are here with two titans of health. We are here with Dr. Dave and Truth Calkins. And these two gentlemen, you may have heard them at our most recent Longevity Now conference that just took place just a little over a month ago. And we're really excited to have them back today to talk about three very exciting areas of research that are getting more and more attention, certainly the last year, carnosine, CoQ10, and fish oil. And fish oil has been around for a while, but I think carnosine and CoQ10 are areas that our listeners today are definitely going to want to hear more about. So we're going to be asking Dr. Dave and Truth Calkins questions about these, and we're going to begin with carnosine, and we're going to begin with Dr. Dave. So Dr. Dave, I'd like to ask you just very simply, for people who've never heard of carnosine, carnosine, some people might be aware of, it's a combination of amino acids, but can you give a little bit more of a breakdown and in-depth analysis of what carnosine is and what are sort of its main functions and main uses? Sure. Um, carnosine gets its name from, uh, I believe it's a Greek uh, or Latin root, carne, meaning meat. Um, and initially, a lot of the uh, studies on carnosine were done uh, using skeletal muscle from animals. It turns out that any area of skeletal muscle in, in people also is rich in carnosine. So is brain tissue and uh, some other vital areas, liver uh, and some of the uh, organ systems uh, or, or organ, organs themselves, like pancreas, also have a fair amount of carnosine. As you said, it's two amino acids linked together. It's uh, beta-alanine and histidine. And that's important because um, the two being linked together make it a very different animal than just an amino acid. Um, having these two things linked together causes it to be uh, have a certain shape and a certain set of properties that the individual amino acids don't have on their own. So it's not like just you know drinking a protein drink and getting uh, the two amino acids and expecting to get the same benefits. As a matter of fact, when you take carnosine as a supplement, you want to uh, make sure you take a thousand milligrams or two five hundred milligram capsules is usually how it comes. And you want to do that because you want to make sure the body doesn't degrade it, which it does very effectively. Um, the body's primarily interested in getting amino acids. It's, it, it can be very brilliant and smart in some areas and, and not so brilliant and smart in others. And so when it sees anything that looks like an amino acid or a bunch of amino acids, it wants to digest it and use it in skeletal muscle and structure building. But what we want to do is we want to keep that carnosine together. So we need about a gram when we take it. And that's much easier to do in supplements than it is uh, with, with uh, food stuff. For instance, a steak has about 250 milligrams of uh, carnosine in it. So you'd have to eat four steaks to overwhelm the degradation process, and most people aren't going to do that. Uh, the raw food vegan crowd obviously is not going to do that at all. And um, it turns out that plant-based diets have even less carnosine in them. So, again, the, the issue of supplementation becomes a logistical uh benefit. It's just easier to get that benefit from carnosine. It was initially used primarily, believe it or not, by athletes and bodybuilders um, because it seemed to improve muscular recovery. But some of the research lately has been more into the antioxidant capacity of, of carnosine. It's a potent antioxidant, and it, it does a couple of really neat things. So like any antioxidant, it's what we call a free radical scavenger. And that means that it can take these destructive high-energy compounds that are floating around in our body that are very inflammatory, and it can absorb them like a sponge. But the other thing it can do is it can glom on to some very important um, other compounds in our body, namely proteins, 
and fat. So with proteins, what it does is it can attach itself to the protein and actually sort of act like a, a shield for that protein so that that protein doesn't get oxidized, but it can also prevent the attachment of sugar. Uh, a lot of people have heard about N-glycosylation uh, products or what they call ages advanced glycosylation end products. This is a term that's been batted around probably for about 10 years now. And what it refers to is in high-sugar diets, which is pretty much the typical standard Western diet, um, sugar can just attach itself to um, vital structures inside the cell, vital compounds like proteins, and gum up the work. Um, that's an oversimplification. It doesn't just gum things up and slow it down. It causes changes in the biochemistry and signaling of the cell. But carnosine can actually protect proteins from that attachment of sugar. But even cooler, in my opinion, is a combination of carnosine and fish oil. And I know we're going to be talking about fish oil later. But uh, there's something that's come out relatively recently, like in the past two or three years, called ALES, A-L-E-S, Advanced Lipoxygenation End Products. And it's the same thing. It's oxidized lipids or, or in some cases, sugar attaching to lipids, but specifically damage to these uh, vital um, fatty acids of, of our cell membranes. And carnosine can attach to the fatty acids and buffer against that damage too. So it reduces ages and ALs. And ages and ALs are, are two primary messengers of damage and aging in, in a human being. So um, it has a pretty, pretty neat and broad spectrum way that it works. It's also a second messenger in the um, what we call the inflammatory process. So uh, it doesn't just absorb free radicals and decrease inflammation that way. Carnosine, in its in its form of two amino acids held together, is actually a messenger that that uh, helps regulate the inflammatory process in the body. So um, that's uh, that's carnosine in a nutshell. There's a lot of really interesting tidbits there. The last one that you touched on, the regulation, is something that Ron Teagard and David Wolf just recently spoke about, how supplementation, whether it's herbal uh, amino acid or otherwise, the the double directional capability of some of those supplements becomes very important because if you're just going one way with a particular supplement or herb, you're going to eventually cause some problems. But if you have that sort of regulating ability, then it's going to be more of a balancing type of thing so that whatever you find yourself being out of balance with, then that is going to bring that back into sort of a, a regulatory function. So would you, do you find that that regulation is, is a key part for those people who maybe are getting deregulated by excess sugars, excess toxicity, and so forth? Absolutely. It, it really is. And um, when you look at Globally, I mean, I realize your audience is usually a lot more health conscious and pays a lot more attention to what they eat um, than most people. Um, but globally, especially in the Western Western world, the Western diet is highly inflammatory and highly sugared. So there's no question that you know just just the combination of omega-3 fatty acids like fish oil and carnosine can go a long way to restoring the balance. Um, and um, in our society, I don't think we have to worry too much about too much. Um, one of the issues with the raw food vegan uh, crowd is, generally speaking, they're omega-3 deficient and they're carnosine deficient. And so uh, what you see initially is you see a lot of health and a lot of benefits out of that, that particular diet. And I know Dave is very, very well aware of this because we've spoken about it. Um, and he talks about not going overboard on specific foodstuffs and not becoming, quote-unquote, too alkaline at first because uh, your body's not used to it. So uh, this concept of balancing is a really important one, and it applies to supplements as well. Um, for 
people like myself and clinicians who, who work with the general population more than a, a specific group of really highly motivated, highly trained people like you guys have, um, it's actually easier because everybody's so out of balance with, with those two things, carnosine and omega-3s, that just, just giving those things in reasonable doses makes a big difference. But um, if you have a raw food vegan who's been raw food vegan for, you know, more than a year or two, um, they're going to start running into issues uh, with, with those things as well. Uh, the good news is that carnosine uh, is vegetarian sourceable. We, we do that. It's a vegetarian-derived uh, product, and the shallow is vegetarian. The bad news is is so far um, it's really difficult to do that with any kind of omega-3 fatty acids that mean anything, um, and we'll get into that when we get into fish oil, I'm sure. To bounce it over to Truth. Now, Truth, I know you've got a lot of experience with carnosine and working at the tonic bar and working in the capacity of a health consultant with a lot of people, vegans, vegetarians. Can you talk a little bit about your application of carnosine and the benefits that you see carnosine giving us in modern Western society? I started getting into, you know, arginine first maybe as an amino acid and then just started reading all the other amino acids. and It, it sort of opened you up into a whole family kind of like herbology of understanding these peptides, these proteins, and how you can individually control them by supplementation and what benefits you could get from them and on and on and on. I've gone back and forth personally for myself over the years of experimenting with supplementation and then experimenting with sort of extreme, more high levels of supplementation and, and to the point where I'm eating less food quite quite amount and then getting a side effect eventually or an imbalance um, like hyperactivity from too many amino acids where I've I've completely dropped all supplementation and gone back to whole food source and still trying to follow the same principles, the same science, but deriving everything from a biological organic food source to try to work with that. And um, that's kind of a little bit where I'm at more right now. So I was supplementing a lot the last few years, and carnosine was the most exciting supplement to read about because of the antioxidant properties, the scavengers, ROS, reactive oxygen species, aldehyde, um, the anti-glycation effect, the, 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 the reducing of cross-linking of these sugars, slows down scar tissue. So good is it carnosine that they put it in skin creams to reduce wrinkles topically. It, it really slows aging. They've, um, they can increase the, the hayflick limit in human fibroblasts as well as the telomere shortening rate. Um, with the application of carnosine, it's been proven. So it really is kind of the fountain of youth of all amino acids. And it's, it's really a jing. I see it very much as a jing amino acid because it's an amino acid we have a lot of when we're young. And it decreases over time with age. So if you're really interested in preserving jing as you become close, as you become an adult or closer to middle age, you really want to include carnosine in your program. Um, I've gone a little bit extreme with some of the isolated amino acid supplementation, and it has, for me, ended up maybe with some of the other things I'm taking. It's already got my metabolic rate pretty high. It's ended up in a little hyperactivity and a little insomnia, and I sort of detoxed off a lot of that and went back to whole food sources. So for me, you know, I'm all raw, and I've gone, again, with diets on extreme experimentation where I've gone, you know, four or five years completely raw vegan and had wonderful benefits from that, but also gotten completely depleted on another side of the scale, and I realized for some of the physical intentions I have here in my body still on this planet that I need to 
build that kind of energy up to, and I've gotten back into the use of some animal foods. And now I, I feel blessed to have an amazing balance between the optimum of both, like aspects from the primal food diet, aspects from the raw vegan diet, aspects from the body ecology diet, aspects from Taoist tonic herbs, and aspects from supplementation that I understand on a, you know, on a biological and scientific level. So I probably consume when I'm really feeling balanced, um, on average, a half a pound of a, of a beyond organic, like a really high-quality grass-fed uh, raw beef, averaging half a pound every other day with a, maybe a, a raw egg, like a very high-quality. Some people do a little bit of dairy products, has a little carnosine. Carnosine is mostly in the animal product. You know, the, the, the beef, it's, it's high in, and the poultry next maybe, and then milk, eggs, cheese. So I think I'm getting around a... Uh, thousand milligrams of carnitine a day from food source, um, which which that turns me on to be able to do it naturally and get these benefits. Carnitine facilitates with nitric oxide production, which I know is huge. After studying that with arginine and citrulline, uh, the reducing of cross-linking, I've, I've learned a lot about sugar the hard way through antibiotic use in the past and some social drinking and, you know, that contributing to candida imbalances, which I had to study for years to learn to bring into balance. I've found over like the last 11 years being first stage BED, body ecology, really not consuming fruit, sugar, or agave, really stopped my body in its tracks from aging because of the, the reduction of glycation. And then you add carnosine to it on top of that, which has you know, protects your DNA, which really can slow down aging. It's really something, it's, it's just amazing. I think, I think it's an amazing, amazing amino acid or a dipeptide, as you call it. I wanted to add to what you said, if I could. Um, you mentioned pushing the hayflick limit in, in fibroblasts, and um, that's really important because I actually studied carnosine as a telomerase activator, and um, there are more than one uh, paper out there that shows that you can turn on telomerase with um, carnosine. And human fibroblasts are some of the most difficult cells to induce telomerase in, and that's why we use them as a gold standard. In other words, if you can get fibroblasts to make telomerase, you've really got something. That, in, that incidentally, is how they uh, came across the initial activity in, in TA65. Um, but what the problem with carnosine as a telomerase activator is it does work, but you have to do it in superhuman doses, and doses that would probably lead to GI distress, diarrhea, and also make you broke. Uh, it would be even more expensive to use it as a telomerase activator than TA65 is. So. Uh, but there's no question that it does do that. And it, as you mentioned, it protects uh, DNA from oxidation as well. So a really, really good one for those people who are interested in anti-aging supplementation. Do, do you know, um, Dave, that there's any free-form pure, like USB, pharmaceutical-grade amino acids of carnosine? Because the ones I did when I did supplement in the past, there's so much magnesium stearate and other things that, you know, when you're really trying to have a pure program, you just, trying to avoid a lot of those additives? Yeah, let me send you ours. As I said, it's actually vegetarian-derived, and obviously we have to chew up a lot of plants to get it, um, but it's, uh, there's no magsterate in it at all, no excipients whatsoever. So I could be very pleased with it in terms of um, what's in it and what's not in it. Uh, we worked really, really hard to make this one available to raw food vegans because it is one of the things that's commonly out of balance Many of the hardcore raw food vegans will not consume animal products at all, so uh, we made sure that we did it that way. It takes a lot of extra work, 
but uh, you can make it excipient free and you can make it animal product free. So I know one of David Wolf's really favorite products is a raw food vegan. It's a great, great addition to anyone's protocol, especially for the, like you say, Dr. Dave, the raw food vegan community, which could really benefit from this. And so we carry that product with, with your gold standard of quality behind it. So that's fantastic. CoQ10 is something that we first introduced to our audience at the Longevity Now conference with Dr. Sinatra talking about the use of CoQ10 in his cardiovascular practice. And CoQ10 is well known among cardiologists, people who work with the liver and some of the other major organs that do require a high level of CoQ10. And we want to start this interview by asking Dr. Dave maybe to explain a little bit to our audience what is CoQ10 and what are the main uses that our body employs CoQ10 for And then where do you see sort of the CoQ10 deficiencies coming from in our modern society? Because I know if you go to a a doctor nowadays, you know, my mother, my father, my aunt and uncle, they've all heard the term CoQ10 from their doctor, and even they've been asking me about this as mainstream doctors uh, prescribe this now. So can you talk a little bit about in what context CoQ10 would come up in a doctor's visit? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, And it's very interesting because um, Steve Sinatra and I go way back – to the, uh, the turn of the century, so to speak. And uh, at that time, one of the interesting things was that a CoQ was very much where uh, vitamin E was. It was extremely controversial. There were a lot of studies that showed benefit coming out of the Far East. As a matter of fact, in Japan and some places in China, they use it medicinally, uh, specifically Japan. It's, it's been used medicinally there for a long, long time. Um, but U.S. scientists could not reproduce um, the findings of out of the Far East and therefore, there was a lot of negative press, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago about CoQ. And you would hear most doctors say it's another one of those wasted supplements that don't do anything. And what became apparent was, first of all, the dosages were way, way too low. Uh, they were using things like 30 milligrams. And uh, that's really way too low. Uh, you really need to start at about 100 milligrams of CoQ. They were also using a powdered CoQ form, which is very poorly bioavailable. Um, and... Um, they were not using ubiquinol, which is generally accepted now as the preferred form of, of CoQ10. So just, just to cover some basic logistical things here, number one, 100 milligrams is, is minimum active dose in my book. Number two, ubiquinol is absolutely necessary. And uh, number three, um, depending on what you're treating, if you're treating heart failure or Parkinson's disease as a clinician, which is two areas you might see it used, um, you definitely need to push the doses way, way up by 600 to a, uh, milligrams to a gram to, to get there. Where does it come from? Why do people get deficient in CoQ is a really good question. First of all, I think everybody would agree now that the Western diet is really deficient in a lot of things. Um, but CoQ is one of those um, things. I liken it to, to creatine in the sense that um, a while back when creatine came out, it was almost too good to be true. You could take this product it would get into your cells and it would push the enzymatic uh, changes it needed to by a couple percent and you'd get stronger. And it was just hard for for doctors and scientists to believe that something so simple as taking a, a fairly large dose of a supplement could actually push the body's capacity to absorb it and, and make it have a, a response in the body. And the same thing happens with CoQ. The, the natural... Um, shall we say, repair and replacement of CoQ goes down as we age. And concomitantly, and it's, it's a chicken or the egg question, but the mitochondria themselves where CoQ lives um, get less efficient at, at um, reducing CoQ into this ubiquinol form. 
So let me just backtrack for a second and make sure everybody's on the same page here. Um, in your cell, you have a bunch of what they call subcellular organelles. So these are little compartments um, that, that hold different material. So they're anatomically different. They're succinct, like rooms in a house. And they also have functional differences. For instance, we have a nucleus, and that's what houses our genetic material. Well, we also have these mitochondria inside the cell, and you have to use an electron microscope to, to see them because they're really tiny. But in there, they're like little furnaces or nuclear reactors, and they burn fat and oxygen, and then they make all the energy that we get from what's known as aerobic metabolism, which is about 98% of our metabolism. So about 98% of our energy comes from the combination of fat and oxygen in the mitochondria. And so um, CoQ lives in that mitochondria. It lives inside there, and it carries energy from one place to another, and it buffers the free radicals so they're controlled. Again, it's like a nuclear reactor. It's a controlled generation, we hope, of, of energy and, and not an uncontrolled uh, uh, release of energy. So that's the role of CoQ is to carry energy and to control the release of energy. And we just seem not to be able to make uh, very much of it as we uh, pass the age of 40. And then we start seeing uh, diseases like congestive heart failure that are associated with low CoQ levels. So those are the areas where doctors are, are most familiar with it. And, of course, it, it is an antioxidant, uh, a very potent antioxidant. So most people know that about it as well. I would just like to ask you about your thoughts on maybe in terms of cancer research and some of the cutting edge of cancer type of technologies coming out as cells maybe reproduce anaerobically fermenting sugars, for example, in, in the case of cancer. Do you see CoQ10 as something that would be maybe a possibility in terms of not only cancer research but cancer strategies? It's something that seems to be coming up more and more, and it, and it sort of seems to be pushing the envelope in, in the area of cancer a bit. It's a fascinating question and a really tough one um, because um, you really have to understand cancer uh, tumor biology and tumor metabolism to answer the question appropriately. Um, so first, uh, the simple answer is yes, I do see it playing a big role. Um, there is some association in specific types of cancer. Breast cancer seems to be the one most studied where low levels of CoQ seem to be present in, in uh, certain types of breast cancer. Um, so one would think that restoring CoQ levels would improve the, the outcomes in those um, patients. Um, in specifically by itself, but also in combination with uh, chemotherapeutic agents like tamoxifen. Um, so it's been studied in that setting, and it, it, it does appear to have some benefit, but we're still at the more studies are needed stage there. Um, it let me put it to this way simply and non-medically if I had a relative with breast cancer I would certainly put them on CoQ um, but this whole question of aerobic metabolism and, and anaerobic metabolism is a really complicated one and um, it, it probably bears going into a little bit because anytime that we can restore aerobic metabolism or some semblance of aerobic metabolism to a cancer cell and presumably if we can improve and restore the youthful aerobic metabolism in a normal cell, it's probably less likely to transfer itself into a cancer cell. So let's talk about CoQ as an antioxidant, and let's talk about CoQ as a telomere preservation agent. So we know that as we age, our telomeres get shorter, and we know that with the exception of some childhood cancers, the bulk of the population that gets cancer is over 55. 
and the bulk of the population that gets cancer over 55 suffers from short telomeres. We also know that CoQ helps preserve telomere length, slows down the loss of, of the telomere segments, and thus by stabilizing the telomeres probably stabilizes our genome. That makes us less cancer prone, it would seem. The, most of the research points in that, in that direction. But there's another role for um, these antioxidants, and that is when a cell does have something go wrong, it's supposed to shut itself down. It's supposed to go either into what's called replicative senescence or apoptosis. And the worst thing that happens in the cell is the thing that's likely to transfer the worst response. So if something kind of slow and gentle and aging happens to a cell, it may go into replicative senescence. But if something disastrous happens, like a, a mutation that might cause a cancer or, or what we call a double-stranded DNA break, a, a real change in the genetic material, it's supposed to pretty much explode from the inside out. That's called apoptosis. And one of the things that cancer cells do is they bypass all those cell cycle mechanisms that are supposed to put the brakes on. And intimately involved in all those mechanisms is this mitochondria. It's supposed to release free radicals, believe it or not. It's actually supposed to go on like a phaser on overload in Star Trek or a nuclear reactor on overload and release a lot of free radicals into the cell and cause that cell to die. That doesn't happen in cancer cells because they're really, really sneaky. Um, we talked about telomerase. One of the sneaky things that cancer cells do is they turn on telomerase. And I know this has been a big issue with people saying, well, ooh, do, does telomerase activation cause cancer? No, it's the other way around. You, you can uh, take a telomerase activator, it seems to have absolutely no effect on cancer. But cancer does make telomerase by every possible means. So, too, cancer does a lot of sneaky, tricky things to um, facilitate its survival. It bypasses the cell cycle breaking mechanisms. It changes the way the mitochondria release free radicals. And even though the cell pH drops inside and it gets acidic, that cell doesn't respond the way it's supposed to. And another sneaky thing that it does is it actually organizes the tissues around it to make a better blood supply and a fibrous structure so that it can grow, it can hang on to something, and it commands blood volume so that when it goes into its anaerobic metabolism using sugar and producing lactic acid, that it's flushed with blood to supply it with sugar and get rid of those byproducts so it doesn't die. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception in the general public out there. Cancer cells choose anaerobic metabolism. Um, they, they, for whatever reason, make the genetic changes that like anaerobic metabolism. And if you put them in a high oxygen environment, it doesn't kill them. They've figured out a way around that. It has, you know, dumping oxygen into cancer cells generally does not kill them at all because they've got all the mechanisms around that they need to ensure this anaerobic environment. What things like CoQ do, we think, is it restores some normalcy to the way the mitochondria behave and it allows them to make some of those cell cycle interruption steps like apoptosis or cellular senescence that they're supposed to. And it doesn't fix the genetic damage that caused the cancer, but what it does do is it makes the cancer cell susceptible to the normal regulatory mechanisms that other cells have when something goes wrong, and then thus it would help selectively kill cancer cells. Now, I know that's complicated, but it's really important to understand that because a lot of people think, oh, well, just restoring the pH the cells and restoring the oxygen to the cells is going to make them not be cancer. And that's not true.
fascinating explanation of what's going on. It really ties quite deeply into, as Truth, I'm, I'm sure, is going to really want to be talking about herbalism and Chinese herbalism delivery system because that's all about intelligence and teaching ourselves and our body intelligence. And that is also, you know, the basis of the raw food, live food diet is getting that DNA from the, the earth itself and the, and the plant life of the earth to really teach ourselves intelligence. So, Truth, can you maybe carry on from what Dr. Davis is saying in terms of your experience with not only CoQ10, but maybe unique delivery systems of CoQ10 that can take the actual substance itself but combine that with a certain cellular level of intelligence that comes from the Chinese herbal system. On a Chinese herbal level, there's, you know, they don't really get into individual antioxidants like coenzyme Q10, but they do talk about the, the Jing being what's inside the nucleus, and they do talk about ATP. And, you know, this, what Dave said, about 98% of our energy coming from this electron transfer uh, and anaerobic cellular respiration. Um, that, that generates that's the denison triphosphate. It generates basically majority of all of our energy, and especially important like Jing organs, like the kidneys, the kidneys, the liver, the heart. These are really high energy organ centers where their their concentrations of CoQ10 are the highest. Their energy needs are the highest, and if you deplete their energy needs, they they get into trouble. So qi tonics like ginseng and especially ant are, are you know famous and astragalus for improving ATP production. On another supplement level, you know, listening to Dr. Dave talk about cancer and, and anaerobic versus aerobic, there's a wonderful supplement I've used and had quite a lot of experience with called Cantron, and it increases that. that it seems to correct the anaerobic versus aerobic, and it improves aerobic cellular respiration, and it seems to have an amazing effect against cancers, and there are a lot of clips um, on YouTube if you Google Cantron, C-A-N-T-R-O-N. So this whole balance, but it is something where if you're using herbs and supplements to try and improve your health and you want to reduce your risk of cancers or things like that, having double direction, bipolar immune modulating herbs that you use on a daily basis, like astragalus, like ginseng, where they have an intelligence to regulate things, they're probably able to correct stuff before we get into trouble and improve our chances of not having these renegade cells that, 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 that are, you know, are supposed to die when they become cancerous, but somehow, once in a while, they get tricky, as Dr. Dave says, and they figure out how to activate telomerase, and then, boom, they start replicating out of control quickly. There's a lot of things that can help us on a preventative level with the tonic herbs, the gynostemma, the ginseng, the reishi, and these are all called fujang herbs because they support the root, but they can do even more if you really get into researching what they do. But with coenzyme Q10, this, again, is a, a nutrient that's, um, that's dense, and when we're younger, and we like Jing, and we, it gets less, and we burn it out, and our our diet today, we're not, you know, the CoQ10 is highest in, again, the animal products, but they have to be high quality. Because heating or cooking or over-processing lowers the CoQ10 levels in these foods. But some of the oils, like unrefined, really high-quality sesame oil, if you ever got fresh-pressed, 32 micrograms per gram sesame oil, Sardine, very nutritious in a lot of things, uh, 64 micrograms per gram. A little bit polluted from the ocean, but um, I just take probiotics and enzymes before I eat uh, fish products like sardines. Walnut, 19 micrograms per gram. Then we get into veggies like spinach, 10 micrograms per gram. Broccoli, 8.6 micrograms per gram. Everything pretty much dwindles down from there. But one of my favorite superfoods that I just started using through mixing um, at the tonic bar 
it because of David Wolf, because of back in the day when he had Nature's First Lawn, um, and I created the tonic bar, and I wanted to blend superfoods with tonic herbs. I started using mass quantities of tocotrienols, and I wanted to test it one day to know what it is, because I didn't really understand it as this rice bran soluble powder. I'm used to tocotrienols in a supplement form in a pill, like vitamin E, right, that you buy in the health food store. But now we have these, this powdered rice bran soluble for those in the know in the superfood market. And it's supposed to be the whole vitamin E8 complete, the gamma, beta, alpha, delta, tocotrienol, tocopherol, because it's naturally occurring from the rice bran, this antioxidant-rich part of the rice. It has naturally occurring coenzyme Q10 and alpha-glucoic acid and selenium and B vitamins. Um, so I took several heaping tablespoons and stirred it in a glass of water and just drank it, and I could literally feel capillaries opening up in my body, improving um, the blood flow and the circulation, which vitamin E is famous for, and coenzyme Q10, which works with the vitamin E. And now, every day, I, I take a couple rounds of tablespoons, and I put it in my mouth, and I chew, and I swish. It tastes really good. And I hold it under my tongue for a few minutes while I'm making my green drink in the morning or something, and I can feel the vitamin E and the CoQ10 going right into my system. And I like that technique a lot. So I think, you know, the vegetarian foods, like the oils that have the good vitamin E and CoQ10, they're highly processed in the American market. No one's getting it in that source. You know, 40 million Americans a year are on Lipitor, cholesterol-blocking drugs. Another 20-plus million are on other statins designed to block cholesterol for people's diets that are unhealthy that have an imbalance of cholesterol. I know we talked a bit about this in the the fat program, Lucian, but I just want to mention a little bit more about cholesterol because I think cholesterol levels, you know, vary depending on genetics and background, blood type, um, ethnic types. I think for my type, you know, doing blood panels, if I go overboard with animal food, you know, maybe on average, sometimes when it's a little high, if I'm not doing enough of my cholesterol lowering stuff to keep my, you know, the, like the yin and the yang to keep in balance some of the animal foods I consume, I start getting up to a total cholesterol around 200, which is still, you know, it's healthy, borderline getting high, but, you know, sweet spot ideally is like 150 from my research. And if I um, moderate those foods, but still consume them, but I drink more gynostema tea, more green juices, I exercise, I take my my um, CoQ10, I mean, you know, my tocos, my, the things I know that keep it in balance, my fish oils, I get it down to that sweet spot at 150. For my blood type, though, if I don't do the right thing, and I overeat high cholesterol food, my liver doesn't correspond to that balance, and I do get cholesterol a little too high, whereas some people don't. And on the other side of that coin, some vegans who have very low cholesterol diets, their liver will work really well and actually generate their cholesterol internally for their body so their cholesterol stays right in the sweet spot. They have cholesterol to make hormones. And anything that seems to block cholesterol seems to block coenzyme Q10 in the body and inhibits that level, which is not good. So a lot of these people on statins are getting really low levels of, of CoQ10, I believe, because of the medication, and that's endangering their health. And these high-energy organs, like their heart, are being deprived of a very critical. It's a good point, Ruth, and actually that's initially when I started using CoQ, and I know, uh, Lucian, you had asked about um, where would we see this in a clinical setting. Um, initially, uh, and it's, it's so well-known now, I didn't even think to bring it up, but back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, statin use was not quite as rampant as it is now, but um, you actually uh, were not able to um, to uh, bring in uh, red yeast rice. Merck had a use uh, blockage patent on that, 
so for the longest time, it was a banned substance because um, that's where they got Fembastatin, Mavacor, their first cholesterol-lowering drug from. And all cholesterol-lowering drugs, all statin cholesterol-lowering drugs, I should say, block the last step in the conversion of CoQ. It's called methylmalonyl-CoA. Uh, and um, that's where they block, and uh, consequently, they drop CoQ levels. And so initially what we used to do was we used to supplement all of our statin patients on CoQ10, and, of course, lots of clinicians and cardiologists thought we were crazy, um, we meaning anti-aging docs. So that was probably the very first usage that I had uh, for CoQ, and then I started noticing, um, because I always took my own supplements, I started noticing a lot more energy, and I gave it to my running crew, uh, and they loved it, and all of a sudden the athletes loved it. Um, and, again, uh, it became widespread. Now pretty much every doctor knows that if they put somebody on statins, they want to go ahead and also put uh, CoQ uh, on board, uh, usually a minimum of 100 milligrams. One other thing that's interesting, and it's kind of a co- um, controversial and conspiracy theory-esque, if you will, but if you look at the incidence of congestive heart failure and the incidence of statin use, as Truth mentioned, 40 million people on statins, the incidence of congestive heart failure, uh, which can be in most cases helped by CoQ, almost parallels the increased use of statins. Um, and there are some people who are suggesting that that's one of the major causes of congestive heart failure. So um, whether it's statin-induced or just old age-induced, um, the older one gets, the more important CoQ uh, becomes. And I just wanted to say one other thing about cancer because I didn't mention this, but um, we talked about restoring, and Truth talked about restoring the balance in cells and giving them cellular intelligence so they know when to stop living, essentially, program cell death, if you will. There's something called um, matrix metalloproteinases, and these are regulated by the mitochondria, uh, and the, they're very much involved with free radical generation in the mitochondria, which, as we mentioned before, is very much um, involved with CoQ. Well, these uh, matrix metalloproteinases are actually key molecules in cellular invasion and metastasis. So there's another way that CoQ may reduce or improve the outcomes in cancer not only by restoring the normal behavior of the cell, even though it's a cancer cell, helping it behave more normally and getting rid of itself, but also reducing uh, cellular invasion and and metastatic behavior in in cancers. Whether someone's on a statin or not on a statin, and depending on their age, maybe for people over 40, do you find that CoQ10 is something that really everyone would benefit from being on or is there the possibility that you get too much CoQ10? It seems that if you're over 40, maybe you would not be able to harm yourself by taking CoQ10. It seems like something that pretty much everyone seems to be slightly deficient in at the very least. And then finally, is it something that would be more beneficial for men or more beneficial for women, or is it equal? Well, it's a complex question, but um, first I, I should mention that, you know, if if you have someone like Truth to school you on how to eat properly, um, it's possible that you could do all this with, with natural foods. Um, that aside, most people don't have that knowledge base. As far as I know, there's only one truth, and we have them on the line today. And uh, um, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult for the average person to institute some of those things unless they're living in a community that's supportive or have someone like Truth to coach them, which hopefully that will become more common. We'll, we'll, we'll clone you, Truth, and we'll... Uh, We'll put one of you in every major city across the country. <laughs> but, uh, oh, dear. 
You know, uh, no, I, I say that only partly in jest. I, I say that in, in acknowledgement of Truth's abilities and knowledge as a very special person uh, who can provide the kind of, of information that people who want to do it with um, strictly by eating. And everything you said, Truth, is spot on. Um, now, that said, let's be honest, 95% of the people or more out there aren't going to do that. So, Lucian, to answer your question, uh, yes, I think over the age of 40, definitely most everybody would benefit. I think any athlete, whether they're a teenager or beyond, is going to benefit because of the uh, the free radical generation um, uh, that, that happens with most uh, competitive sports or even recreational sports. So um, like most things, uh, you can push the age envelope to the younger side of supplementation when you're talking about athletes. Any Anybody who has diabetes or any other kind of uh, uh, infirmity uh, earlier in life rather than later in life, obviously that's a, a, an instance where you would want to start taking it beforehand. Uh, from the standpoint of studying cancer, obviously breast cancer is, is more common in women, so uh, it, it may be of more benefit from from that standpoint to women, but I, I find you know the hormonal equivalent of breast cancer in men is prostate cancer. So I'd be very surprised um, if we didn't see some benefit when someone gets around to actually studying that specifically. So I don't know that there's uh, um, any major uh, differential benefit possibly men because they don't menstruate and are exposed to more um, oxidized iron uh, in their system, they may get a little bit more benefit from, from uh, this type of an antioxidant. But that's a question I don't think anybody can really honestly answer. Okay, Truth, do you have any concluding remarks about CoQ10 supplements? Well, you know, life is a gift. Being alive is amazing in your body and understanding how it works at its optimum. We all know our bodies better than anybody else. And we know when we felt the best and we've had the most energy, oftentimes when we're kids and we're just so in alignment and our body's so abundant with these nutrients like carnitine and CoQ10. And it just feels amazing to be living on that level. So for me, you know, I don't, I'm still like a child and a student growing, in love with life and in love with expressing myself physically and how wonderful it feels, especially as someone who's been an athlete on and off. It brings me a lot of joy to be performing at such a high level and my body to be so efficient with energy production. And things I've learned with health, like burning my fat through my slow, long, 140 per cycle ATP burn, and not involving insulin and glycation and candida and inflammation from sugar as a spike food that goes up and down. Learning stuff like that, learning things like tonic herbs, like, 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 like ant to increase ATP. It's just amazing. And having the honor of being working at the tonic bar and meeting like a, a top world athlete who's one of the fastest runners in the world in the 200 meter comes in and he asks me, what have you got for ATP? And I'm like, oh, wow. And I give him the ant and I tell him all about this stuff. He's never heard of it before. And he says, okay, give me a single dose. I have a, I have a track run. I'm going to be timed tomorrow and I'll test it because this man's very smart. He's very intellectual and very intelligent about how he uses things in his body, I can tell. So I, you know, I respected him and I said, okay, I'm going to give you 12 squirts and one little single serving and this is how you all want you to take it. And he takes it and he comes back and he tells me, I broke my time record. Does that stuff amazing. It definitely increases ATP. But for me to know how to, I feel it in my own routine, my own program, and then when I get to the fun of it all and actually express myself doing something amazing physically and feeling how my body is getting close to unlimited levels of performance, it just turns you on. It's really exciting. It's just, it's just part of life, you know. 
and I know how scary it gets on the other side of the coin if you let go of your health and you take things for granted and you're underknowledge and undereducated and degenerative things start to come and bring you into a state of imbalance. And then you get this state of fear because you don't know how to control what's going on. And you become a little bit like a hypochondriac and you're worried about everything. And you go to a so-called specialist like a doctor, which they're great. You know, when I broke my arm and, you know, both arms actually, and, I mean, they're brilliant. You go and they, they set you and they fix you and then your body knows how to heal. But with the degenerative problems, when I went to doctors and I had antibiotics over after antibiotics after antibiotics and then I had a tonsillectomy and I hemorrhaged five days later, and it just got more and more scary. And then I realized that I have to learn how to be a mechanic and a doctor and a health coach for myself because I life is severe and I can't not go through life living without having that knowledge. It's like buying a car without an instruction manual. And you know what I mean? It's, and, and you're going out there driving it. And you know the very minimal basics about how this thing operates. It's, it's, it's just a little bit, you know, risky in a way. Or you, you just don't want to be a victim. You don't you want to be in, in, in educated. You want to be empowered. You want to be in the know. You want to have the knowledge. So even if you don't use the knowledge, you want to have it so that you can make a choice, an action based on wisdom, to yield to an intention that you want for yourself if that need arises. And for most of us, at some point, it does start happening because there's just so many things out there that can create a chemical breakdown in our bodies today, and that takes away our freedom to live. And above all, freedoms number one. We want to live free and be happy and have abundant, long, healthy lives. It, to me, health is really amazing. Understanding chi, you know, this 98% of ATP energy that's happening with the help of CoQ10, and the things that, that break down the mitochondria, you want to avoid those. So understanding cleansing, getting rid of all these free radicals that are messing up the machine and giving it the most optimum fuel, building up like like superhuman levels of, of, of jing. Because this jing is in the mitochondria. It's stored, you know, in the Chinese system, stored in the kidneys, in the bone marrow. It's responsible for the endocrine system and regulating its hormones. And the brain is concentrated with jing. Um, and the brain is very concentrated the brain and muscle tissues with carnosine. The, the mitochondria in every single cell is, is concentrated jing, building this intrinsic energy with, with the herbs, like, like the jing city tea to me is just amazing because of what it does. And I hope that the science in the future, just for the fun of it, we can prove some of these things more and more, like what happens to, to metabolic mitochondrial energy oh, after three, six months of someone consuming jing city tea every day, you know, at a certain age group. And we do a trial with a group of people. I mean, it's, it's exciting. Or a high CoQ10 diet or, you know, plus supplementation. And start going for what happens if we hit, like, astronomical levels of CoQ10 under ideal circumstances for the average person. What are they now capable of? Um, to me, it's, it's, it's about, you know, maximum human potential. How far can we go with our health if it, if it turns us on to do so? Thank you so much for people listening. If you'd like to check out the CoQ10 product that we carry by Dr. Dave. Dr. Dave has an amazing pharmaceutical grade CoQ10 coenzyme. Go to www.longevitywarehouse, type in CoQ10, that's C-O-Q-1-0, and it'll pop right up for you. This is another very, very high quality product that we carry from Dr. Dave's best. So we really appreciate him for producing these amazing products. So you've got two sides. You've got the pure pharmaceutical grade supplement side, and then we've got the Truth Calkins approach, which is a very, very well-rounded, beautiful whole foods approach using all sorts of things like the Chinese tonic herbal system, as well as just amazing raw food, vegan, BED principles. So thank you so much. Truth, uh, he brought up a really good point, and that is 
both of us and most of the people that we talk with and most of your audience, Lucian, is really evolved to the point where, or at least a, a large chunk of them are evolved to the point where they're not, they're not disease-based in their thought process. They're health-based. They want to perform at a higher level. And that's really um, the basis for everything that I create and obviously, truth, the basis for what you do for yourself and your clients as well. Is we're not just talking about restoring balance and getting over diseases. We're talking about the other side of the coin, which we'll call superhuman potential. Yeah, I mean, Ron always said when I worked for Ron Teagarden, you know, never treat disease, always promote health. Right. A, it's more inspiring. B, you're actually you are treating disease in a way because you're preventing disease from allowing to come into your life by building up the kind of health that that keeps it at bay the whole time. And it's much easier to keep once you learn how to build it and then to maintain it. It's much easier to do that than to do all the wrong things for a long time and then radically try and change your health to reverse it. A lot easier to do it up front than it is on the back end, that's for sure. This program was brought to you by thebestdayever.com. Thanks for listening.